thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Well, good morning once again. Take out your Bibles back to the passage that was read for us just a few moments ago in Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. A couple of things I forgot uh, to get to you just a few moments ago. Uh, one is we will uh, be back at the high school this week uh, preparing lunches on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, we have this week and next week that we're going to be doing that, and that will wrap up our time for this semester. Uh, but if you would uh, like to come and be a part of that, we will be at the high school cafeteria at 12 o'clock on Tuesday to begin to put those uh, lunches together. Any Any of your assistants, uh, in that, if you're able to be there that day, will be greatly appreciated. Uh, we will put you to work. We uh, we got a couple of weeks ago. We got the first week. What did it take us? Like two and a half, three hours. It felt like we got everything out right as school was letting out. A couple of weeks ago, we had those jokers done in 50 minutes. We were sweating. We were hot. We were tired. Um, but that was kind of like the meal packing national championship for us. We we knocked it out that day. So uh, I'm I'm thinking that they're just going to start packing themselves. We're so good, you know. We just show up and they'll be done. But if you if you have the afternoon, a couple of couple of minutes to spare on Tuesday, uh, I know many of you in this particular uh, session uh, you work and I understand that. But if you can come help us out, that would be great. Also, uh, Danny sent me this message. Uh, just a few minutes ago, he says, uh, please uh, announce uh, on the prayer list, Tim uh, Mulliken. This is Judy Kilpatrick's brother-in-law who is in UAB with COVID as well. So that family is very much dealing uh, with a very challenging time right now with the virus. So, uh, of course, Judy and, and Randy have it as well. So please be praying for that family and for Tim as well. So Exodus chapter 33, we'll get to that here in just a few moments. We were driving to Huntsville yesterday. Uh, I think it was yesterday that we had this conversation. It may have been uh, the couple of days before as we were driving back from um, Blair's dad's house. But either way, on one of these trips that we've taken over the last few days, driving and talking, Blair and I were having this conversation. We're talking about Christmas presents, talking about Christmas presents for the kids, talking about Christmas presents for family members and different things. And and uh, I asked her what she wanted for Christmas, and then she asked me what I wanted for Christmas. And uh, I'm not going to tell you what she came up with, but I'll tell you what I came up with, because that's an important question. Would you agree? What do you want for Christmas is an important question, because if you answer it the wrong way, you're stuck. You're stuck with it, okay? You're stuck with that, that first thing that you say you want is going to be the thing that usually sticks. And if you make a bad choice right then and there, you have a hard time backtracking and getting that, that change. So I looked at her, and I was serious as I could be. She goes, what do you want for Christmas? I said, I want 40 cinder blocks. She looked at me, she goes, 40 cinder blocks? I said, yes. I said, I want to build a barbecue pit that I can smoke a whole hog in. And she goes, are you serious? And I said, absolutely. Look at me. When it comes to food, do you not think that I'm serious about it? Absolutely. Send down here. You get it, don't you? You get it. I said, I want 40 cinder blocks because I'm going to build this pit so I can smoke a whole hog in it. I said, I'm excited about it. It's something that I want. But in the answer of that question, in the answer of that question, you got very quickly 
an insight of what's important to Matthew. You know, if I sit down and have a conversation with you, and we're just talking about things in general, I know if, if I sit down with Alex and I begin to talk to Alex just about how his week and how things are going, I know for the most part, before too long, that conversation is going to become about football and about coaching. Why is that? Because that's something that's important to Alex. If I were to uh, to uh, talk to any number of you, before too long, the important things to you are going to come out in conversation. And in the, the text that we read just a few moments ago that Sin read for us, what we have is a conversation that's going on. More of, more, it's not even really a prayer. I mean, it is a, it is a conversation, face-to-face uh, if you will, conversation between God and Moses. And in this conversation, Moses is just laying his heart out. And he's telling God, these are the things that are important to me. Now, how did we get to where we are? Well, I hadn't planned on this, but you're going to see that over the last three weeks, we've accidentally uh, been on the mountains and in the valleys in all of our sermons. And this particular message uh, I just decided as as I'm rolling through that maybe maybe the the theme for the end of the year is mountains and valleys. That's what we're going to kind of look at. And like I said, I kind of accidentally rolled into that thought into those types of lessons. But this is very much a mountain and valley experience for Moses. That at the beginning of Exodus chapter 20, if you flip your pages back in your Bible in Exodus chapter 20, what does Moses begin to get from God? The Ten Commandments. Okay, and so he's up on the mountain. He's up on Mount Sinai in the presence of God, getting all this stuff. And so in chapter 32, in chapter 32, um, he comes down from the mountain. And what are the people of Israel doing? They're worshiping a golden what? A golden calf. Okay, so they've had this moment of regression, which is somewhat, okay, let's, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt for a moment. Somewhat understandable. This people had been in captivity for 400 years. They had been slaves for 400 years. God was new to them, at least in this way. God was new to them, this following God thing, completely new concept to them. Okay, The people of Egypt had been their rulers. They had told them what to do. They had um, been you know, the, the people that they followed orders and commands and stuff from. I mean, they believed in God, but it wasn't until a certain point after 400 years that they cried out to God, and God tells Moses, I've heard them cry, and I'm going to be their God again. Okay, so... So they're, they're kind of, you know, what, what's going on? What, what are we doing? And they regress back to something that is comfortable to them. We have those moments, don't we, in life that, that we're not really sure about this new challenge that's in front of us, so it's easier to regress back into things that we're comfortable with. And sometimes those things that we're comfortable with are sinful and pull us away from God. And that's where the people of Israel, they get to. And, and it, oh man, it, it makes Moses mad. What does Moses do? Moses takes the tablets. What does he do with them? He just... He just throws a fit, and he just throws them uh, down and, and smashes them, and, and they're gone. And it's not just Moses that's mad and aggravated here. God is mad and aggravated. So look in verse 1 of chapter 33. So God's watched all this happen. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt. Well, that sets the tone because now all of a sudden they're not God's people. Who brought them out of Egypt? He goes, you, Moses, this is your problem. This is your fault. These are your people that you brought up. God is hurt. 
God is hurt that he's, 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 he's come and he's rescued these people. He's sent all these plagues so they can see the power of God. They've crossed the Red Sea together. I mean, his presence is sitting on this mountain in an amazing way. And, and he's like, these are your people. I don't have anything to do with them. He's, he's having a mad parent moment. He's having a mad parent moment. That there have been times, and I'm this way as a parent, that I get mad at my kids, but the source of my, my madness is not anger, it's disappointment and frustration. I'm disappointed and I'm frustrated with the decision that Collins has made to open her mouth and smart off. And because I'm disappointed in that, what do I do? I get aggravated and I get mad, you know, and listen, I love my daughter. I do love my daughter. And, and Collins is a rule follower. Collins is, you know, not going to be the kid that gets in trouble because she's going along with the crowd. She's not going to be that kid. But y'all, she has the smartest mouth of any 10-year-old I've ever seen. And I'm, she didn't get it from me. She did not. But it, oh man, it gets so frustrating. And as a parent, that frustration sometimes turns into aggravation. And that aggravation turns into anger. And that anger turns into, if you don't watch your mouth, I'm going to slap you across this room. And God's having that moment. When I want to go, Blair, your daughter has done this. God goes, Moses, your people... Those people you brought up out of Egypt, you know, all throughout the story of God and the people of Israel, He reminds them, I brought you out of Egypt. I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God who brought you out of Egypt. Th those phrases are used so many times, but right now He's going, you're, uh uh, mm -mm. these are your people. And look at why he's, he's so hurt. And so He keeps on going. He says, okay, leave this place, you and the people that you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. I'm going to send an angel with you because these are your people. Because if I go with you, I'm liable to slap you across the room. God's hurt. God's frustrated. And God's like, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going to keep my promise, but I'm not going with you. And so Moses takes this moment. And remember, Moses is frustrated too. What Moses is trying to figure out, Moses is in a tight spot as a leader. And he's trying to figure out, how do I lead this group of people? How do I be a leader and a follower at the same time? So he goes out, he takes Joshua with him, starting in verse 7, and he pitches a tent out away from everybody. And that was probably a really good thing. He's going to get away from all the people and all the frustration, okay? And he sets up a conversation with just himself, and with God. And this is what that conversation looks like. He says, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know 
whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways. Go ahead and underline that phrase. Teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I love the first part of this conversation. So the first thing that he prays for, if you will, the first part of God, his conversation is, hey, God, look, I own, this is what Matthew hears. Matthew hears this, God, you got me into this. You volunteered me for this job. Now you're going to go with me. Like we had an agreement here that we were going to do this together. You're not going to skip out. But he says, but in this process, he says, teach me your ways. Teach me your culture. Show me what what God kingdom culture really is. Um, culture is an, is, is an interesting thing. Uh, we have American culture, okay? We have, we have things about our nation and our society. One of the things that's been so challenging during this COVID crisis has been the way that the COVID has affected our culture. Uh, yesterday, yesterday was the most important day in the state of Alabama. And we even had an election this year, right? But yesterday was the most important day in the state of Alabama because it was what game? The Iron Bowl. It is the most important day. And yesterday as we're getting ready to leave and go, I've got on my Alabama shirt. I've got a jersey on Vance. I've got a jacket on Collins. And Blair's like, why are y'all all wearing Alabama stuff today? I'm like, it's Iron Bowl day. Like, it's the most important day. You know, and, and they show these pictures of Bryant Denny Stadium. And there's like nobody there, you know. Nathan, did you get to go? Nathan was there. Nathan and like 30 of his friends. That's what it looks like in this big empty stadium. I mean, that's, that's culture in the South, right? Going to the football games. And, and, it's, and, and, and we've, been, we've, we've, we've missed some of that. Okay, listen, when I, when I moved to Arkansas, I love the brothers and sisters in Arkansas. They mean so much to me. Um, I, I've got some... Some people there that are, I mean, they're not just friends. They are family. Uh, we our, grand, our kids call them, we don't have grandkids. Our kids call them Mimi and Poppy. I mean, they are those type of people to us. Um, but listen, y'all, Arkansas is different. Arkansas is different. I moved to this little bitty town in the middle of northeast Arkansas, and the first house we lived in there was in the middle of like a 1,000 acres of rice. It was us, the mosquitoes, and the airplanes, the, the crop dusters. Like, that was it. It was different. And so I show up the first Wednesday night for church, and I've basically got this on minus the tie, okay? And, and I've got my typical Wednesday night because I had come from a church where everything was proper. I mean, to the point that when you serve communion, there was a shoe buffer in the communion prep room where all the men got together and prayed. And you knew before you went out to serve communion, you had to buff your shoes because you had to look the part, you know? And so I'm coming from that into this church. And I, so I show up dressed, dressed up like a preacher on Wednesday nights. One of the elders pulls me aside and he goes, you don't need to wear that on Wednesday nights. He said, because you're going to stick out and you're not going to be able to relate. I said, what do you mean? He goes, all these farmers are getting off the tractor and coming to church and then they're leaving church and going back and getting on the tractor. And they show up in muddy boots, muddy blue jeans, dirty shirts. I mean, it was the strangest thing I'd ever seen. 
I'm like, you can't come to church that way. And they're like, no, you can't come to church that way. I had to learn the culture. I had to change to adapt to be able to minister in this new environment. And, and I think what Moses is saying here is he's saying, God, teach me your culture. Teach me what you want me to know, how I need to live now that I'm following you. As Christians, we don't need to be worried about earthly culture, American culture, hailable culture. That's not the most important thing to us. The most important thing to us is, God, teach me your ways. Teach me your kingdom culture. What does that look like? That's a whole different sermon series. But I'll give you this. Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, who are weak, or are meek, rather. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers, and those who are persecuted because of righteousness. As Jesus begins to talk about the new kingdom, that's where he starts. He said there's a kingdom mindset that starts in this idea that Jesus shares. And for us as Christians, that's where we should start, I believe, as well. But he says, hey, look, God, teach me your ways. That should be the first thing that we talk to God about, I think, every day is, is, is just show me your will, show me your direction. All right, let's keep going. The next thing he says, Lord, grant me your presence. Grant me your presence. Verse 15, then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. This is an interesting thing here for me because there's a great promise that God has made to his people. And, he's, and, and he said, I'm going I'm to be your God. You're going to have all these things. I'm going to take you to this land of milk and honey. And he says, I'm still going to keep that promise. I'm still giving you the promised land. And, and Moses comes in here and he says, what good is the promise without the presence? I mean, if we have, the, if we have the, the, uh, the promised land, but we don't have God, what makes us any different than anybody else? And that's so true for us today. Without the presence of God in our particular situation, without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us, what makes us different than anybody else in the world? You see, we have this amazing connection to God as Christians that Moses, that the people of Israel, that David, that Solomon, all these other great uh, Elijah, all these great Bible characters of the Old Testament, they didn't have. We have the true presence of God dwells within us. And it sets us apart. But here's the thing. A lot of times it's not that he's not with us because he is. It's that we ignore him. Because we have this spirit dwelling within us. We have this gift from God. We have God in the spirit within our inner being and our soul. And we tend to just live like he's not there. We just ignore him. When he pushes us and nudges us in this direction, we just think it's indigestion and we go the other way. You know, we just ignore it. We don't care. We need to pray for God's presence so that we can learn His ways. You know, I'm not a fortune teller, but I can tell you this. 
We're going to have challenges ahead of us as a church family. There's three types of problems that churches face. Three types of problems. There's growing church problems. There's sitting still church problems. And there's dying church problems. But regardless of where you are, guess what you're going to have? Problems. You know what the best kind of problems are to have? Growing church problems. You know what the number one growing church problem is, though? The number one growing church problem. Somebody sitting in my seat. There's this new person here this morning. They got here before us, and they got my seat. I still think it's hilarious, and I made this comment with the 9 o'clock service. Do you know where the 9 o'clock church members sit? Not where you're sitting. Where you're sitting right now, no one sat in those seats at 9 o'clock. All these empty spots, that's where they sit. You know where the most, the bulk of everybody sits at 9 o'clock? Right there. This side of the auditorium is the full side. Okay, Freddie's over here with all of his friends this morning. Problems. When you have growing church problems, you have new attitudes, new personalities. I, don't, I say attitude not in a bad way. But you have new people. And now all of a sudden you've got new ideas. You've got a, a different group of people. And, and the people that have been here for a long time, sometimes the newness is, is challenging. And, and they're scared of it. A lot of times churches say they want to grow, but they won't go through with it because it changes things. And then if you've got dying church problems, you've got a whole different set of problems. We need to be a church that has growing problems. But understand that as we face those problems, we ask God to be in our presence. And we ask Him to teach us His ways so that we can address those problems in the most godly way and move forward in the most positive way. All right, one last thing, and then it's all going to be yours. He says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Starting in verse 18. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. This is, uh, this is very similar to what Elijah asked for last week, isn't, isn't it? Show me your presence, God. He's like, show me, show me you're here. And, and, and I think there's a little bit of that going on with Moses here because Moses is in a rock in a hard place. He's going to have to lead these people whether God's with him or not, right? He's in charge. They're his people now. He, he's the leader. And, and he's going, hey, God, I need to know that you're with me on this. Show me that you're there. Have you ever had a moment like that where you've said, God, just show me. Show me that you're listening. I had one. I was coming out of a grocery store in a little town in Arizona called Wickenburg. It's an hour north of um, um, Phoenix. We, we were there. My, my sister was, was receiving some treatment there. and it, it, the, the whole week, we were there for family counseling week, and the whole week had been kind of a disaster for a lot of different reasons. And I was really struggling. We're coming out of this grocery store, and I was with my brother. And we were talking, and just as I'm pushing out this buggy, I'm just like, God... If you're still here with us, with our family, like I'm just praying this to myself. I remember it plain as day. Like if you're still with us, just, just show me. Let me know you're here. And I kid you not, y'all, there was this, the largest, loudest clap of thunder I've ever heard in my life. And like my brother and I, we both jumped. It scared us so bad. I'm like, got it, God. I'm with you. <laughs> you're there. I got you. Okay. But he says, show me your glory. God, let me know that I can still follow you. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and will proclaim my name 
the Lord in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. And so he sets this thing up to where he can, after he passes by, he can see his back. And that's all that he can see is the back of God. But hey, that's a lot more of God physically than I've ever seen. But listen, it's a powerful moment because God says, I'm here, just follow me. I'm here, just follow me. Now this is Matthew, all right? This is what Matthew pulls from this. I understand that he couldn't see the face of God. I understand kind of the, the, the godly theological part of that here. But for Matthew to make this passage, this section make sense, I think for me that seeing the back of God should be all I need. Because if God's leading and I'm following, His back is all I need because I'm just going in His direction. God, plot my course. Walk in front of me. Face the, face the dangers in front of me. Face, the, face the, the power of Satan in front of me. You stay headstrong. You stay face first. Let me follow your back. I've got you. Have you ever watched... I, I love uh, military shows. I watch a show. comes on CBS. It comes back on Wednesday called SEAL Team. I love, I watched several years ago, there was a show called The Unit. I love those type of military um, military things. Uh, and, and my love for that started when we were in North Carolina when I was a junior in high school. We went to um, Fort Bragg. Where is Fort Bragg? Anyways, it's the largest army base uh, in, uh, in America. And the Delta Force is stationed there along with the 82nd Airborne. And... Uh, I met uh, some of the Delta Force guys, and we, we and I we had I mean they were they were really cool guys. The first time we got to meet them, the second time we were there it was after nine eleven, and they were all gone. Um, but they would they would show us you know in the church building how they would clear rooms and this and that and the other. You know the most important thing when you're clearing a room uh, as an operator is you keep your focus on the guy's back in front of you because you go in everybody's facing the same direction. And if you see his face, more than likely something bad has happened. But that first guy, he leads moving forward. And this guy behind him has his hand on his back. The next guy, hand on his back. The next guy, hand on his back. And then you storm the room. I want to see the backside of God. I want my hand on his shoulder as he leads the way, as he walks into the storms of life in front of me. I don't want to see his face. I just want to follow. That's what Matthew gets here. That's what Matthew needed to hear from this passage is just follow him. Just follow him. Show me your glory, God, but lead me. Lead me where I need to go. Grant me your presence and teach me your ways. I don't know what you ask for when you pray. I don't know what your prayer life is like, but I do know that maybe these are three things as a church family we need to make sure is a part of everything we pray about. That we say, God, give us this unshakable faith. Help us stay on the mountain because we're going to be in the valley at times. Things are always great on the mountain. They are always great on the mountain. But our mountaintop experience should ground us enough that when we go through the valley, our faith is unshakable. I guess whether I meant to or not, that's the underlying message of the last three weeks is to have that unshakable faith. Whether we need to or not, we're going to find another mountaintop story for next week because that just seems to be working right now. 
But I want you to go with me in prayer, and we'll, we'll end our time of study together. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the last week that we've had, a week that as, as a nation, we are reminded to pause and be thankful. God, I know that as Christians, we should be thankful all the time, but it's so easy to get busy and to get wrapped up in, in just life. Uh, but help us, God, to, to just pause and say thank you for all the things that you've blessed us with, the, the way that you've loved us, the way that you've shown us mercy, the way that you've saved us, God, with uh, the, the church family that you've blessed us with. We just thank you today. God, I pray that, that as we are dealing with our own challenges as a church, uh, due to COVID, due to uh, a number of other things, God, that you'll help us have this mindset that we're always seeking your will, that we're always seeking your presence, and we're always seeking your glory, God. Help us to let that permeate in our life and be the things that push us forward. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for his willingness to die uh, for each and every one of us. May we live our life with that motivation every single day. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. And more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community.